Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today we'll be in conversation with Joanne Babalus, Transform Ed Consulting Services. EDX Education first met Joanne through her amazing blog, YouTube channel and inspiring Instagram page. Joanne is an educational expert who is a trained teacher, early years consultant, PhD student and super mama of two. Today we will discover how she continues to evolve and transform her learning environment into a space of possibilities, chatting about home learning, her PhD and future in education in schools. Joanne, welcome. Can I ask you to tell our listeners today about Transform Ed Creative Studio and Learning Centre? At EDX, we love your philosophy for early childhood education. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for this opportunity. This is actually my second podcast since the lockdown. The first one was for a Greek radio station, and I was able to share some of my ideas with families in Greek and in English. I also understand French. I'm not as confident to speak French, but I've often thought about sharing my ideas on the blog in all three languages. As we began talking own outdoor space and begin to welcome the community into our home space, to welcome them into our family. I never really expected that the studio would become anything more than a small social opportunity for my family and my children. It turned into something far bigger. We have had over 1,500 visitors in two years. I would even say closer to 2,000 because not all of our families participate in six-week programs. Some of them come for one visit only. And I'm now starting to figure out different ways of weaving my research, which is on educational photography, through the daily life of our studio. And right now, the daily life of our studio is very different because we're closed. And although we are closed, it's in my home. So it feels very open to me since I'm able to be in the space with my children. I've been documenting their learning through photos and videos. I revived my YouTube channel during the lockdown and we created in the studio approximately 21 videos of learning ideas that parents can try at home. And in that short time, we achieved a following of a thousand people on YouTube, which is really exciting. And now I believe I'm allowed to do lives and I can have question answers after I post videos. So it unlocks a lot of interesting features. But beyond that, I opened the virtual studio so that the parents who were attending my regular programs had a way of seeing me through IG Lives. I can sing to them, I can read to them, I can provide a creative class. So twice a week, the classes are for children and families. And once a week, I provide educational training through my consulting services. So part of my role has always been as a consultant in the early years, and that's where I share the day-to-day documentation and learning that I try that's Reggio-inspired with others. I have trained in the studio. I have trained on location. I've even traveled throughout North America. And my virtual workshops started in 2000, and I think they were in 2015, because 2011 were the Canadian 
conferences and sessions. So since 2013, I have been working, sorry, 15, I have been working virtually. And um, the Instagram platform just made so much sense because I'm already using it. And now parents, caregivers, uh, the community, and um, you know the, the teachers that want to have extra training can easily become members and learn through the posts, through the stories, through the IGTV videos, and through the lives. Well, that's amazing. So during the virtual, I mean, I don't know how much lockdown Canada has. Have your children, are the children off school in early childhood? Early yes. Years? So we've been off since the middle of March and there's no clear sign that we're going back. Okay. So are you finding that you're growing, especially with the educators? Because this is an unknown. It's doing virtual learning. A lot of teachers do not sign up for virtual learning. So whereas this is something that I suppose you've been doing on and off the past five years? I feel that virtual learning might seem intimidating or overwhelming at the beginning just because of the technology piece. So educators may feel a little reluctant to participate in something, worrying that maybe they can't get the video to work or uh, that they don't want to be seen on video. Instagram is very familiar and it's a space where if they don't want to ever show their face or have their voice shared it's not something that gets in the way of that whereas when i was using google hangouts and adobe connect i noticed that we ended up spending 15 minutes just supporting the community to turn off their microphone because <laughs> of the distractions in the background with the dog or the husband or you know um it, it was difficult. It was challenging. We definitely know like, that one. Though, I like how Zoom has the option. This week, I was part of a webinar with Reggio Emilia Italy. They had their first ever online training session or, you know, a source of inspiration for us who were not able to go to Italy at, the, at this time. They use Zoom, but I think what worked so well is... There were no features for video or for audio. They had turned those off completely. So we could only see and hear them. And there wasn't the time wasted between, you know, helping supporting people with that. Oh, no, I definitely agree with that. But listen, I would love to hear today. I'd love to discuss your topic for your PhD. Now, my understanding that what it actually is, is early learning interactions and experiences, how infants and toddlers engage with their families to inquire about the world around them however I yes. loved the way that you explained it to me and it was improving our skills visually to show the child's thinking through lenses I mean this is a very niche area and I'd love thank to you. know what, what inspired you to choose thank this. you so for the last 15 years I've been mainly a kindergarten teacher in a public school board when I started studying for my master's, I was introduced to the Reggio Emilia approach. And my master's became inspired by everything that they were doing in Italy. So much so that I transformed my regular classroom, my regular kindergarten classroom, into one that was Reggio Emilia inspired. My research, it focused specifically on the learning environment, making it the third educator. But throughout that study, I was documenting emergent curriculum with my camera. 
And I was also giving the kindergarten children a camera to document their research with me. Fast track a few years later, I have my own children and I'm noticing that I'm capturing photos all the time. Some of the photos are of moments that I want to remember. Some of the photos are actual real learning and thinking. Now, my children from infant and toddler, they were not talking with actual words, but I could tell from my educational standpoint that they were communicating thinking and learning from the moment that they were born with where they looked using their eyes, with their hand movements, with their voice, with their sounds, with you know the reach of what their hands were trying to grab for their body language there was communication happening right away so when i opened up the studio i began to offer parents this chance to be present with their child and not to worry about documentation i documented the experience i wanted to show them that both infants and toddlers are able to have these interactions to build these relationships and to learn about the world around them. It was the photography, though, that really spoke to me. And I recognized that the photos that we're taking specifically here in North America are quite different than the photos that are being taken in Reggio Emilia, Italy. So I went to Italy several times for their study tour to learn more about the language of photography within my pedagogical documentation. And now my work is trying to provide photos as research for infant toddlers and children in general to give them the voice that maybe they wouldn't have shared when they got home after a long school day about their learning and their inquiry work in their daily programming. So the photo can actually share thinking and learning of a child who's new to a country, maybe they don't speak the language, Maybe they're nonverbal because of special rights, so perhaps they have autism, or they're really shy and they get to school and there's something in that environment that doesn't make them feel comfortable to talk. Communication is not just talking, writing, and reading. Communication can be expressing yourself through the visual arts. It could be that the child is building something with clay. It could be through dance. It could be through song. And if we know about early childhood, we recognize that not all children will learn with paper and pencil. So to me, a photograph is a window into their mind and you know, into their interests and their passion. And it's very exciting work for me. And in the virtual studio right now, I've actually challenged my members each week with just a little idea. You know, this week I said, we're going to focus on nature. Take your camera, whatever camera that might be, and put your lens on nature. Whether it's a space that you design outdoors for your children or for your students, if you're doing this virtually, maybe it's the materials you choose to select to use outdoors or the actual space and the materials that are used by the children. Because that's, to me, that is where I'm hoping for this work to go. In order for us to show the true communication of a child, it goes far beyond setting up a space and providing materials. It's what will the child do with those materials? What does that experience look like? Even though we may all suggest going into nature, nature might look very different in everyone's backyard and through everyone's different lens. 
because it's all about your perspective. How do you view the child's capability? Joanne, I love that. I, um, looking at things through child's eyes. Have you asked them to also be interesting to see if they took a photo and actually asked the child to take a photo of what they yes. see? So the, 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 the study that I've designed is um, with three different perspectives. There's the perspective of the educators. So I have a few educators participating in the study. There are five families in the study. Within each family, there are generally one to two children. So in the family, I always requested for a preschooler. At the age of preschool, two and a half years old, they're able to hold an iPhone or a camera. And usually I'm very lucky that these families also end up having an infant too. So then we have the infant learner who's not yet holding a camera. We have the preschooler who's holding the camera or a toddler, depending again on the, the siblings in the family. And we have the parents or caregivers as well as the educators. So we're all going to be sharing in this experience and even having discussions of when did you take a picture? When did you feel like you wanted to watch? What kind of picture did you take? How can we improve that picture? Um, what did you find valuable to photograph versus what you didn't photograph of learning? So essentially, we're all researchers and our research tool is the camera, whatever camera the family feels comfortable using or the educators. And I'm facilitating that experience so that we can uncover a project that's going to emerge. I don't know because my, my unfortunately my study got put on hold from the pandemic, but the topic in my kindergarten class for my master's had to do with the sky, the children. It was just something that they were very fascinated by. And in the end of our research on the weather and the changes of the colors of the sky, the children dedicated a dance and a song to the sky that they performed outdoors for our community. Oh, I really don't know what this project will be about because it just depends on the members and their interests. But in the end, I will be making a little exhibit with the perspective of the child, of the family or the adults and the educators on the emerging curriculum and I want it to go somewhere in my local community. If not, you know, of course, I can put it in my studio. Yeah, it sounds like something that you could actually share with the world, to be honest, because education is changing through all of your different, you know, the, the world is so small through all your digital channels. And uh, everyone it's would true. be in, in uh, visual, in visual well, thinking through lenses for children. I mean, can you explain, do you, how do you see how would you like this study to transform early so, years of education? Uh, thank you. Thanks. That's a great question. So the truth is that just on my own experience, I noticed that as a blogger, I used to write a lot and I used to share photos, but what was most impactful for educators who were following along were the pictures. They didn't really have the time to read the long captions or the text. And then slowly, slowly with Instagram picking up, it just turned into this huge visual culture and shift. I know that I have to graduate by creating a book, but I think 
in my dissertation, I'm going to have a large component that's visual through the photos. And the way that I want this all to translate when I finish is I hope that not only will it inspire parents with the photographs that they take of children, in my workshops on educational photography, I talk a lot about how there's different types of photos. There's the pose, smile, and you know, show how cute a child is. That's, that's one kind of photo, but that's not educational photography. Educational photography is when the child is deeply engaged in a moment with some sort of materials and they're expressing their thinking without even necessarily having to verbalize it. In order to convey that kind of photo, we have to learn how to take the photo. Which angle, it's not just a point and shoot. We have to learn how to use our tool, which is our camera. Whatever camera it is, it's a great camera as long as we're using it. Then we have to figure out, we took 20 pictures or 50 pictures, how do we edit down to select the top three? How do we get to an enduring moment or an everlasting photo? that can be shared year after year to help train and inspire other educators or interest others who um, would like to learn in this kind of a setting. So that's the ultimate goal for me, is to support in editing the photos with filters, improving how they're shared on blogs, on Instagram, on newsletters, on classroom bulletin boards. Ideally, I think, Photography should be something that is in a pre-service education program. So in the actual teacher's college training before they go out into the field, I think it's as important as when we teach reading. We're learning as educators to infuse literacy, but what about visual? Don't we want to give children those skills to communicate far beyond even what their voice is capable of? So I, I would... I would really like for my training to be for parents, of course, but on a bigger scope, you know, I'm always dreaming big. If I can share that book that I write or that exhibit that I create and train others on this topic before they even enter the field of education. John, in, uh, I suppose I was just thinking with special needs or nonverbal children or children with extra needs, is this something that is true? Do teachers get this training? Because no, they don't. In fact, in fact, in North America, there's no training on using cameras at all. But okay. they're increasingly giving us technology. So that I will say. We're getting um, laptops, iPads, different resources, cameras, digital cameras. We're given the technology. We're also given the apps. So they often say, you know, we've signed up to this new educational app where you could store and organize all your photos. This is wonderful. But if you don't know how to take an effective photo, what are you really organizing? <laughs> yeah. trying to, what are you trying to organize? Absolutely. Joanne, listen, I've, as an educator and the future of schools with lockdown, there's so many changes. You know, parents have become the new facilitators and not necessarily all of them are loving it, some of them are, but I suppose what I'm trying to ask you here is with your Reggio Emilio Creative Studio and Learning Centre, do you see this as the future for parents and educators? With regards to online learning and yeah, the changes? And also the, the style that you're teaching them. Oh, rather yes. Than 
knowledge and then the experience coming from the classroom. Because we really, I mean, in the UK, children on average only spend a fifth of their life at school. So they're of their waking hours at school. So there's a lot of experiences that happen out of that. So I was just wondering, do you oh, think... What, what, are their, what are their hours like in the day at school? An average school would be nine till three. A private school okay. could be till 4.30, but it's the average without taking into account all of the extracurriculum or after Yes, school, exactly. They're on well, average I, I honestly believe in this method of teaching and being with children as what we need for the future. When I grew up, it was very focused on spelling tests and information and learning what was in a textbook and memory, memory, memory. But now children can have access to the internet and within seconds find the answer to all of the content. So we have to work with them on creativity. We need to support their collaboration, their ability to really think and analyze the information that they're collecting to problem solve. In a studio environment with this Reggio Emilia approach following a topic that is of their passion means that they're engaged and they're taking independent steps, making choices, having the right to their education. And when I think of the future workforce, I want children to be able to have that confidence to create their future, not to be told that, you know, here's what you must do. These are the mm. steps for the job. I want them to not feel that there's a ceiling for their ideas, that they can reach any concept that they've imagined. The future really belongs to creative thinkers and innovators. And the studio space, this Reggio Emilia approach, really allows for us to go deeper with thinking. I don't want to create a replica, one student after the other. I don't want to create a worker. I want to create somebody who will make a difference in society. Oh, Joanna, I couldn't agree. We couldn't agree any more than what you've just said then, especially what's going to separate our children, especially with all the artificial intelligence, that the people that are creative are the ones that will do well in the future. Um, one of the things that we're looking at, do you think that I, in these unfortunate circumstances we're all on, in the UK we've been on lockdown for five, six weeks, I think, now, and it's as uh, not looking at going back to school anytime soon for the children. But do you think it's going to help supercharge that change that we're sort of all been looking at in a normal classroom environment is, is pushing towards a more of a creative environment? I do feel that there's going to be a shift. It does take time, um, specifically where I live. There hasn't been a lot of change in the ways the systems are run. Um, it will take time. It will take a lot of creative and very, um, trying to think of the word to describe it, those who have courage to show the way, to be able to light that path. Every single stone that's thrown into the water, it can make a ripple. And I'm hoping that maybe it's that ripple effect. So we need to make our learning experiences visible and be advocates for education, creativity, for 
the opportunity that children can have in these kinds of environments. And that's why social media is really important. If we have an audience, I think it's our duty to share on Instagram or a blog or YouTube to light the way for somebody who might be nervous. So it's a great advocacy platform actually as well. So if you are, because you might, you'll find now that parents are stuck for ideas. So this is something that's happening. I know that my children love creative projects that I've got two boys and they learn anything from art, making up physical games, open-ended toys. I think I know your answer to this one, but do you believe creativity is the number one skill to be fostered in the early years? There's lots of skills. I think creativity, problem solving, confidence, um, being able to think innovatively, collaboration is also at the top. If we cannot learn to collaborate and be with one another, then you can think creatively, but working on your own is quite a different experience. So I think collaboration, um, I believe creativity, problem solving, just that opportunity to really think in an innovative way. Design thinking. I love watching my children build blocks and then they get frustrated and you can see them, they've got to learn how the foundation why it keeps tipping over and you see them as they problem solve their way through it. That's quite, always quite interesting. And, and perhaps along with confidence and building independence with choice, I also think it's balanced with patience because working through an inquiry project, the project approach, sometimes there are moments where the research gets a little bit muddy and frustrating. We have to be patient and to understand that it's about the process, it's about the journey. We don't always need to have the perfect outcome. No, sometimes the outcome completely change, changes once you go on that journey, doesn't it? Exactly. Might, um, look, I suppose for parents today and some of our listeners, what would be your, as a teacher and actually, you know, You've been in it and also been in education for a long time. What are the three most important things for parents to teach at the moment during home learning? I think that it would be number one to me, just because I'm now balancing my work with having my children at home learning as well, and it's creating responsibility. I'm working really hard with my two preschoolers for them to feel responsible for our learning, to take initiative and not always wait that mommy is going to create something and set something up or provide the idea and the way. I want them to start taking initiative and responsibility for their learning and also for their actions, that if they're working in a specific area of our home, that they're responsible to take care of it and, and put the materials back the way that they had started that afternoon. So I, I would say responsibility, giving children choice, choice of where they're going to learn, indoors or outdoors. So definitely weaving outdoors. And the third would be pushing our thinking outside of the box. So if you have a material, a common material at home, my children and I we're not buying anything at this time. I know a lot of people are, but we haven't actually bought anything. We're trying to use everything we have in a different way, giving it a new life. So if I have a white basket, for example, what are all the different ways we can use this basket for our learning? Could it be for dramatic play? Might we reenact a story? 
Are we going to use it to fold little pieces of paper and create um, something in another part of our, our studio or our home? Really pushing ourselves to go beyond that typical way of using a piece of paper or a napkin or a basket or Q-tips, cotton balls, anything that we have a lot of, what can we do with it? And we're trying not to be wasteful. So we're keeping in mind our footprint um, on this earth. If there's something in the packaging that's safe for us to reuse, we're trying to think of new ways to reuse it. That's such a, that's such um, a lovely can, way. Can I, give, can I give an idea to your, your group that I have provided in my life? I was going to so, ask you for um, this. This was an idea for using reusable materials um, and recycling. It's called mystery box or mystery bag. And essentially, you would dig through your cupboards for tissue paper that came out of presents. You could find an old basket box or bag. And then if you held on to containers like strawberry containers, you would wrap up an item that you know your child either really likes or an item that they haven't seen for a while in the tissue paper. And then you would tape around with the tissue paper, the strawberry box. So just imagine um, my daughter has a little pink camera that she loves. I would wrap the camera in tissue paper, put it inside the strawberry container, wrap the strawberry container up again, and present this mystery bag of items. You could put question marks on it with sticky notes. And the child almost feels like they're on this Easter egg hunt. You could hide the items around a room. They could even just discover the one bag and pull it out. And as they're unwrapping, they're rediscovering parts of their play or possibilities for their play. But it's all done in a way without having extra waste. Because again, you can reuse that strawberry container. You can reuse the, strap, the scraps of the tissue for something further. But the experience feels so new and exciting. I love that. We always say, we always talk about knowledge is something that's taught in the classroom with the curriculum and then it's actually the experience that the children take in. So using open-ended materials, as you're saying, give them an amazing experience and make them think about things in a different way. They spark that lovely imagination that children can have, that children have, I should say. Um, Joanne, I just want to say thank you very much for chatting with us today. And we've got, if can, I just want to give a few tips, tips on where parents can follow you or they can find sure. you in order to so they can follow my, my Instagram at Joanne Babbles. That's where I post most. And through my Instagram, there is also um, an easy connection to my virtual private members only Instagram, which is called transform Ed virtual studio. There are tons of links on both of those profiles to get to my blog. My blog has exceeded over 3 million views worldwide. And it's something that I try to write on every month. YouTube is weekly, and that's also connected to my blog. But you can search Joanne Babalus basically and find all of the um, social media, Twitter, Pinterest. I'm most active, though, on Instagram, on the blog, and on YouTube. Joanne, thank you for chatting with EDX Education today. We loved hearing about your journey through Reggio Emilio teaching, your virtual studio, early childhood education, 
home learning and your ideas and blogs with so many resources available for parents, teachers and even children to access. We look forward to hearing about your results on your PhD, on improving our skills visually to show the child's thinking through lenses. What an amazing niche area. My name is Heather Welch from EDX Education. Let's all stay safe and enjoy home learning with our little ones.